Hello, and thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. This is a sermon for Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. The sermon is entitled, Money Can't Buy Me Love, and is based on Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. It was preached by Pastor Mike Hanel. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I asked you the question, and now I want to hear your answer. What was that story that Jesus told about? I genuinely want to know because I'm not sure that I understand it. I have a lot of different books I looked at, uh, commentaries and resources, and uh, nobody, none of them can really seem to agree what that story was about. Some of them might have some good ideas, but then it, it seems like there are just parts that still don't make sense. One of my professors from the seminary even said, guys, when this reading comes up in the lectionary, preach on one of the other readings. Because I don't listen well and because I like a challenge, uh, here we are. Now, usually when Jesus tells a parable, they are like hidden messages, right? The, the, the point of it is kind of, we're going to just turn that off and stop that. The point is, is kind of hidden in the story, and people don't usually understand what it is that he said, but... Usually afterwards, he'll tell his disciples or he'll say something that helps unravel that story and explain its meaning. The only problem is that for our parable today, Jesus's explanations don't make things any clearer. Actually, I think it makes it more confusing. For at one point, Jesus seems to say that the point of the story is this, that we should use unrighteous wealth so that we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What? Do you know what that means? Because I don't. Now, it's possible that what Jesus means is that we should use money, our resources, all that God has given us for his purposes and not for our own selfish plans. That's a very biblical message. It's found in other places in the Bible, so that could be right. But It seems to me that if that's the point, this is just kind of another version of the parable of the talents. And that parable was quite a bit clearer than this one. So maybe it's saying that, but I don't think so. I think there's more to this story. I think that Jesus is trying to get us to think about why we do what we do. And in order to do that, he he tells a challenging story so that we don't just pass by it, but that we think about it, that we try to poke and prod at it to figure out what is this saying, what does this mean? Yes, it is a story about money, but it's about more than that. I think it's a story about our relationships. It's a story about why we do what we do. What's the motivating force behind our relationships? Ultimately, I think Jesus is getting us to ask these deeper questions, and so I figured, 
why not call this Money Can't Buy Me Love? Nobody's ever used that title before, right? You'll be hearing a song in your head, I'm sure. The context of this story, I think, is important. And if you were here last weekend, you got the context. This uh, chapter 16 follows immediately after chapter 15. And chapter 15 is a famous chapter in Luke's gospel. It's one of those that I think many of us have memorized and we return to again and again because there is such good stuff there. It's sometimes known as the lost chapter. We hear about that lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, uh, often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. And that's the context. Jesus tells that parable And then the next thing in chapter 16, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, and he speaks this other parable, this other story. Well, I think knowing that context helps illuminate this story a little bit. There's some similarities that you see when you read these two stories together. First, let's review the prodigal story just very briefly. In that story, that younger son, he runs away from home. He he is taking his father's wealth and he squanders it. He wastes it away. And finally, he hits rock bottom and he's ready to return back home. But he has this plan. He has thought about this and he knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to return home and tell his father that he is going to be his servant. He is going to work hard for his father to pay off that debt to pay back to his father everything that he took from him. But instead, the the son never gets that chance to justify himself to his father. Instead, his father comes running out to greet him and brings him into his embrace, welcomes him back as his son, and at his own expense throws a great party and feast for his lost son. His son has returned. Now Jesus tells us the point of that story is to show God's grace and God's love for sinners who have lost their way. But if you think about that story in other terms, it's a story that brings together the themes of grace and debt. We hear about the son's debt and how he wants to pay that off, but we also hear about the father's grace. And how he's willing to just forgive that debt and take his son back as his son. Now our story today, I think, shares those themes. Themes of grace and debt. However, it it uses them a little bit differently. It changes some of the details. And so the story becomes a different story and and speaks a, a slightly different message. So consider the similarities in these two stories. The the prodigal son is a lot like the manager in our story. The manager is the one who has great wealth, and what does he do with it? He squanders it. He wastes it away. And the rich man, or the master in our story, is a lot like the father in the story of the prodigal. Now, in our story, when that manager has finally kind of hit rock bottom, when he is called out for squandering that wealth, he has a tough decision to make. Now, in the story of the prodigal, when he faces that point and has to make his decision, his decision was that he would work for his father to pay off that debt. Now, a difference is that the manager, 
he realizes he's not going to pay off that debt. In fact, he looks at himself and he says, what am I going to do? I can't do any hard labor. My, my hands are so soft and delicate. And it's not like I'm going to beg. I couldn't possibly bring myself to that as if those were the only two job possibilities. But those are the things that he considers. And he says, no, I can't do it. So what am I going to do? I know. And he calls in the debtors of his master. And he has them look at the books. And for each of them, he he looks at the debt that they owe. And he tells them, tell you what, why don't you write in a lower amount? Let's reduce that debt. And the plan seems to be those debtors are going to be so grateful to this manager because he has saved them thousands and thousands of dollars. They're not going to have to pay back that original debt, but now a much smaller one. And because of that grace and gratitude that he has from these debtors, Even when he's without a job and without a home, he thinks they will gladly welcome me into their houses. Do you think that's how that's going to work? So in this story, he has a debt. He has squandered his manager's wealth, but he is not going to work to pay off that debt. Instead, he is going to make his master pay even more for his mistakes by that expense that he will no longer get, that revenue that he will no longer get. Instead, he will rely, the manager will rely on the grace or the gratitude that he presumes he has from these debtors. Did you follow that? Like I said, it's, it's complicated. The story is not an easy one to understand and to try to put all of those pieces together, but that's not the hardest part. The hardest part comes at the end when what does the master say to the manager? I don't know the exact words, but he commends him. He commends him for his shrewdness. Now, it's important to note that he doesn't commend him for his honesty, He doesn't commend him for being a good guy. He commends him for his shrewdness. When it comes to being shrewd, this guy was probably at the top. He was one shrewd dude. But what does that mean? Well, it means he knew how to play by the rules of this world. It means that he knew how to play his cards in the best way possible possible in order that his future would be as protected for himself as possible. But that does not mean he's somebody that we should emulate. He was not commended for a good quality that we should seek to emulate in our life, just like in the story of the prodigal son. We are not to emulate the prodigal. We are not to emulate that younger son, that we should take our father's wealth and squander it and expect that when we come back there will be a huge party. That was not the point of the story. The point of the story was to show God's love for sinners. So also, this story, the point is not that we should lie, cheat, and steal to get to the top. 
That manager was self-serving from the beginning of the story to the end. There was no change in him at all. Every decision he made was about himself. He didn't care about his master. He didn't even care about the debtors. He only cared about number one, and he was number one. So in my mind, this story gives us this manager as an example, but a negative one, not one that we should follow. He is an example of what it looks like to serve the wrong master. It's easy for us who live in the world to adopt the ways of the world. To be concerned only about number one. To to be shrewd in the ways of the world because that's what you have to do to get ahead. Maybe at work, you know how to put forth just enough effort to not get fired, but not so much effort that you get new responsibilities given to you. Maybe you know exactly what meetings you must attend because you know who is going to be there to see you. And you also know what meetings you don't have to go to because nobody important is going to be there. You probably know by now which roads you can get away with driving 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Not that I'm commending that. And you also know which roads you need to mind your lead foot. You know which people you can get away with sinning against, and you also know whom you must always forgive. You know that when everybody is watching, you need to be on your best behavior. But that doesn't mean that you can't think things in your head and say things in your heart, because after all, nobody can see or hear those things. See, anyone can be shrewd in the ways of this world. But that does not mean that that is right. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees were among those people who were a lot like the manager in the story that Jesus just told. In fact, at the end of our reading, we hear that it's the Pharisees that have the strong reaction. They are angry and sneer at Jesus because they understand that they were the target of his words. Those very harsh and condemning words were meant against them. They were upset because they were those types of people who were shrewd in the ways of this world. They were the types of people who were only after number one themselves. They cared about their reputation, their popularity, their money, their influence. What they didn't care about was the real Lord and Master, Jesus. But in this moment, when their sins are exposed, they start calculating. They're ready to fix their situation, to justify themselves. Only they're not going to do it like the prodigal son. They're not going to devise a scheme to pay back that perceived debt. 
that they owe. They don't give Jesus that much credit. In their eyes, Jesus isn't the master. They are. So what do they do instead? They try to rely on the grace or the gratitude they receive from others. They try to rely on their influence and popularity with the people around them so that somehow they can prove that they are right and Jesus is wrong. But they're mistaken. They don't understand why Jesus is there. They don't understand why Jesus has spoken that story against them. They don't get that Jesus is an awful lot like that rich man or master in the story that he just told. They don't realize that Jesus has come to welcome sinners into his eternal dwellings. In that story that Jesus told, that master, he realizes that the manager has been doing him poorly. And he fires him. But again, there's something strange about the story. Now, if you were fired from your job for, like, corporate embezzlement, you can bet your bottom dollar that an official from HR and probably a security guard or a police officer will be there to show you the door in that moment that you are fired. But that's not what happens in the story. In the story, this manager is fired, but the master doesn't immediately take the books away from him. Now tell me, was that a foolish decision? Or was it a gracious one? Here, Jesus speaks a word of strong law that condemns all sinners, even speaking to us, to all those who don't serve the Lord 110% wholeheartedly, but whose allegiances are divided between other masters. Jesus speaks that condemning word to us, but in this moment, Jesus does not consign all people to hell who have not been 100% faithful to him. Instead, Jesus comes and he speaks that word of law, that word of warning. And in that word, he invites us to repent to come to him, to follow him. Now tell me, is that a foolish decision or a gracious one? Jesus is calling us to something higher, something bigger, to something better. Jesus is that one who does speak that harsh word of law, You've been called out. He knows your debts. He knows your hearts. Your future is in question. So what do you do? Your salvation does not rest in your own efforts to pay off your debts. 
Nor does your salvation rest on the, the grace or the gratitude that you can get from the people around you to make you feel more confident and secure in who you are. Your salvation does not rest in your own fast-talking ability so that you can somehow find a way to justify yourself. Jesus sees all things. He sees our strategies. He sees our charades. Jesus knows our debt. But he has come. He has come to pay that debt for us. And he welcomes us. By his death and resurrection, he welcomes us into those eternal dwellings that he has prepared for each and every one of us. And the more you think about that, the more you ponder that, the more you meditate upon that, you realize the difference between worldly wealth and true riches, between a life lived for yourself and the life Jesus lived for you so that you could live eternally with him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and risen Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnet, Illinois. You can find this and other sermons by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings.